0: Thanks for joining us. Yeah. Really thanks to you and Robin for putting this all together. Um, I know you watch our podcast every time we put a new one up. No, just kidding. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it is heavily viewed. Like we're into the millions a month now. So don't, don't worry about that. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, we see. It's, it's, it's getting old, that joke, guys. We need a new joke.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we, we, agree. Yeah, we agree. Everyone agrees.
0: At podcasts goosedigital.com, episode 59, I believe. Who do we have? Robin Kroll, Cressonia,
2: and
3: Pugsley,
0: Jason Kahn. <laughs> awesome, <laughs> welcome, Jason. Welcome. Yeah, thanks, guys. Yeah, thanks for joining us today. Um, it's, uh, it's been a while since we've been able to meet up at a trade show or, or shake a hand, obviously, but it's really good to see you. Um, for those of us that are watching this on YouTube, it's nice to be able to, to see everyone's face again, um, and hopefully be able to shake a hand. I don't know. Will we ever be able to shake hands again, Jason? I don't know. That's kind of weird. Oh, we will be able to. Okay, good. (laughs) Right. Like a little elbow or something, but (laughs) yes, thanks for joining us. We've got a, a lot to discuss about, um, your, uh, your role, your, your area, in the insurance industry in Canada, specifically with Wawanisa, so we're super pumped about that. Um, Just kicking it off, why don't you give us a quick overview of of your role and how Wawanisa is addressing kind of uh, the broker network right now?
4: Yeah, for sure. So, uh, hello everyone. I'm I'm Jason Kahn. I'm Director of Innovation with Wawanisa Mutual. Um, So, I'm... My team is part of the digital office at Allianz, So we awesome. have very much a kind of a digital and experience focus. Um, our team's focus is more about the future. If you kind of want to think about like where we fit in. Um, you know, we think, about, we think about the near future and the far future in different ways. The near future being how do we make what we do better um, for customers and for brokers. And in the far future, we're really thinking about the disruptive trends um, and technologies that could reshape the way that consumers either interact with us or the nature of risk that we underwrite as well. So Mm -hmm. we kind of play in both those spaces and uh, we run kind of experimental projects, if you will, to be able to validate and learn kind of our assumptions about what the future could look like. And also to learn more about what customers' real needs are with respect to um, kind of experience and, and, and insurance needs.
3: Cool.
0: So it's, it's, it's the only time that I, I I think it's valid to sort of when you interview someone to say, you know, we're, we're essentially a time machine. You're, 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 (laughs) you're being hired into a time machine. That that sounds so cool. Like to be, to be in an environment where you can, like, like you said, you sort of run, run your own tests all day about the future. It's pretty
4: wild, mm-hmm. yeah. So, um, <clears throat> what's that? Yeah, a great way to look at it. It's the crystal ball that people are looking for, and no one has one, so this is yeah, kind of what we're looking for is hopefully you know a defensible way to think about the future in a rational way,
0: yeah, yeah 100%. So, um, why is this so important to, I guess, Wawanisa?
4: And and their customers, kind of the work that you guys are doing. Absolutely. Well, I mean, we're we're inextricably kind of connected to our broker partners. So it's important to us and the relationships we have with them and to our customers. I mean, insurance is about the future and it's about a promise for, you know, a promise to keep for the future. And it's important that we we um, have a business that's resilient and sustainable in, mm-hmm. in the long term. Uh, So it's absolutely just from the fundamentals of insurance, it's important for us to to be thinking about that way. Um, Notwithstanding that, like any good business, it's also just relevant for us to be thinking about the long-term sustainability of our business model. And, um, you know, especially today, when you think about the impact of technology on the nature of risk, especially, for example, and if we were to pull on the thread of auto insurance for a second Mm -hmm. and just think about the number of different technological changes that are happening in the auto space today, Um, you know, whether it be electrical vehicles, um, telematics, um, uh, autonomous vehicles, um, ride sharing, um, you know, I mean, there's a list of probably seven or eight really kind of, I would call them megatrends related to auto insurance. And they have a material impact on, first of all, the level of risk that we're underwriting, but also the experience. And um, so, I mean, it's really important for us to be aware of that and to, to be able to calibrate <clears throat> calibrate ourselves as an organization towards that future. Hard to do when you have that many can kind of concurrent trends, all kind of conspiring at the same time. I mean, that's where the research piece comes in. Yeah. yeah.
0: And I'm sure it's not just, I mean, that's concurrent, even within one, one kind of product line, right. If you will, like there's, I'm sure you look at in a megatrend lens. There's other big ones that are emerging as well. Like, how, does does the gig economy play into anything that you're working on?
4: Well, it's, it is. It's not a, not an active area of research for us today, like right now at this moment. So I wouldn't you know comment too deeply on it. But it absolutely is. It's a trend, and it, you know you could think of it affecting things like um, you know employee benefits, perhaps, and life insurance mm-hmm. as well on that side of the business too.
0: Like I know through the through the pandemic, I'm mean, not to date this podcast. I mean, it'll ultimately always need to be, but we've had um, like say for example, my son's jujitsu gym, and they can't they can't operate right. So the founder of that um, of that gym, the professor, you know, he's had to take on a couple of other you know really gig economy type roles, whether it's the Grocery pickup service or delivery service, and you know, sometimes I think honestly it's like two or three at a time, which I think probably to your point earlier affects both the auto mm-hmm. side of that equation as well as um, just him himself as a as a employee, right? So absolutely, yeah. that's uh, very I, that's very cool.
3: I had a quick question in that how how do you balance, and maybe we're going to get into this with the other question, but how do you balance with the broker channel? those big Mm -hmm. idea innovations, you know, those mega trends with kind of the everyday digital marketing trends that are kind of more where we're at today, whether it's, you know, paid advertising or email marketing or social media, that's kind of falling still within the existing sales process and existing service timeline that we've all had for years upon years in the, in the insurance brokerage world. Mm
4: -hmm. Yeah, I think I understand the question. And the the I mean, the mean way to look at that is that we're operating on different time horizons concurrently. So right. I, know I, I know I kind of blasted open by talking about some like really far future trends. But at the same time, um, we have very active exploration work being done on very near-term um, needs as well. So for example, um, <clears throat> our analytics team um, is experimenting with the use of um, machine learning models to help with predictive analytics, um, which is around kind of near-term marketing, right? To help with, yeah. with more targeted marketing and more profitable marketing. So that'd be an example of something that's being done that has a more short-term application. Um, so our portfolio of explorations is really made up of like a really a grouping of projects across different time horizons. And I would say that a lot, a lot of it's very weighted towards you know, the now you would say Mm-hmm. And kind of increasingly, it looks more and more research focused the further out you get into 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 the future.
3: Cool. Mm-hmm. I think that's a pretty big value though to to have a team that is that is focused. It you know that that is focused on all the areas and not just kind of in one lens. And so I think that it's kind of like the Delorean, I guess, your <laughs> time machine back to the time machine that you are able to go into all of these you know, relevant areas, whether it's future or current. So that's, that's Mm -hmm. pretty good.
4: And it's very, it's very important and helpful. I mean, because like most companies, they get really good at operating the business and they're, you know, generally teams are incentivized to operate the business and fly by that wire. And it's helpful to have people thinking about kind of outside that box as well otherwise you know can time can go by very quickly in the world yeah like Ferris wheeler says I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you um, know time can go by really fast yeah yeah I just watched that movie the other day actually an awesome movie
0: yeah that's great yeah. Um, yeah you have to stop life can like is it life can Life you can don't by yeah. yeah like if you don't stop and look around a little bit um, but I, I think maybe you could touch on because to to the point that you guys are just making on uh, that value back to your to your constituents to the to the to the broker network, I think that that's um, probably helpful for them at times too to sort of say, well, I'm in the present, you know, like a, a lot of your time horizon stuff is like, okay, it's in the present, but w- when should I start to think about these other things? When when is it concerning for me to worry about this? Like, because I, I can see many of us get wrapped up in in the hype cycle, right? And mm-hmm. it's like, well, we don't have to worry about that yet. I mean, we're thinking about it and, and you should be to some degree, but this is a, a trend that is maybe six or 12
4: months out. Do you have those types of conversations
0: with? To some it. extent,
4: I mean, they're probably more practical conversations these days. They're more mm-hmm. focused on the here and now and kind of the needs of our, right? but um, yeah, I would say so. I mean, yeah. what, what we tend to do is we'll we'll, We'll collaborate with our broker partners, especially on research. Um, so, they, you know, I mean, hopefully, you know, they find that helpful, um, and they find the the like the insights helpful. Um, and then on kind of shorter term initiatives, they're more project focused. That's where we actually just do stuff together, and um, that's quite practical in nature. I mean, usually it's delivering a, a marketing campaign, for example. Yeah. awesome.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's a good segue into, you know, we'll get down into the, into the marketing here in a moment, but are there other, maybe just to, to touch on the industry for a a little bit here, other big sort of challenges that you see right now for, you know, the insurance market in Canada, Um, you Mm -hmm. see just kind of putting pressure on everybody or making it, making it a, a challenging
4: environment, let's say. Sure, sure i mean i i mean my lens i'm going to speak maybe from a digital perspective mm-hmm. it's it's you know that's probably because that's where my experience comes from and i i do understand that there are other other challenging areas as well uh, of the business but i can maybe speak from what i know right um <clears throat> so i mean one of the challenges there is is the impact of digital on broker distribution and distribution in general and it's mm-hmm. it's just a very interesting time like i'm watching the skills and talent that the brokers are developing in-house to be able to keep up with the, the ecosystem that they're marketing into. I mm-hmm. mean, managing Google, if you wanna say that, is, is like almost a full-time job now. Um, yep. You know, and if, if, a, if a broker is operating at a large enough scale, and um, they intend to um, do some form of customer acquisition online, then they're finding themselves in the situation where they're becoming digital marketing experts. And um, I mean, that's, cha- I think that's challenging. And the challenge is like, how do you scale that down? Right? So, I mean, it's okay yeah. to do that on a national level, but how do you, how does that scale down? And of course the strategies look very different. Um, so I'll kind of say a second thing about that, like notwithstanding I mean, the skill that's required to be able to play in the space. yeah. We also, it's hard to say how it will play out, but there, it seems to be like there's a very big divide between Kind of local marketing strategy, and online strategy. Yes, mm-hmm. and um, that seems to create, to me, anyways, a very, very kind of sharp line, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. So if if you think of it this way, if, if your customer acquisition strategy is online, then uh, you know a broker or a company is playing in a very big pond with a lot of with a lot of competition, right? Um, sure. I mean, like SEO at the at the you know at the national scale is a really tough nut to crack. Or even um, at the provincial scale. Even at the provincial scale, yeah, exactly. I agree. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and if you scale that back down to local, then local seems to be a little bit easier in some ways. I mean, if you're really going for a hyper-local strategy, um, Google makes that easier for you. Um, mm-hmm. you know, with the use of map packs and the way that they kind of funnel customers towards a local experience with star ratings and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. It seems very well focused to finding businesses near me, you know, that kind of thing. And you think a person can win there. But there's this real challenge about like what, how do you cross that line between like local and like an online advertising and those two things and how they come together. And I I don't see it being easy. It seems like the selection set on in the online space is a very small selection set, you know, from a consumer perspective. If I do a search for auto insurance, I can kind of tell you what I'm going to get, right? Um, At the same time, I'll get a very well curated set of local results. so I guess yes. what I'm highlighting there is just like the inherent complexity of trying to manage digital is um, I see that as a big challenge and it doesn't seem to be getting easier. It, like it seems to me like what we're hearing from our broker partners is that Google is pushing updates on a regular basis. That's like really changing the game and making it difficult for them to keep their eye on the prize, so to speak.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's uh, I mean, we all know it's competitive. I mean um, the insurance industry on, on Google, right, is, is competitive. It's, I think it, what, what we've all, we've all read the stats. It's like the first or second at any given time, almost yeah. in terms of the money that, that gets poured into those. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, that's, that makes it hard because now all of a sudden you're competing. And I think with that, with that competition, uh, you just have these varying degrees of demands that are d- demand and supply and demand that are changing all the time. Right. So this is why for a lot of organizations that are in a very competitive set and not, not to say that, you know, I think there are just degrees of competition within different industries. And, and when you're in a very competitive sort of set, it just becomes almost a daily weekly challenge for a marketer. You're literally exactly. in there trying to figure out, okay, well, my, mm-hmm these guys dropped out and and now these guys have come in and i'm trying to manage against that and and you know get my google changed to put this portion now they look at things differently and it, it it's absolutely from that search perspective um a big part of of, of the equation and and a, a lot of energy goes into getting that to perform and and not just uh, pour money down the drain so right. Any sure. ideas?
4: how how do, how do you become seen online because i mean if 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 a person if you're not listening well then you're kind of a big secret right they can have the best product and the best value proposition but i mean the second part to that which makes it challenging too is then what do you catch that with so what's the experience that Mm -hmm. a customer lands into and can you you know can a company retain their attention long enough to 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 walk in the door to do something with it yeah exactly yeah 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 Yeah, so i see those as being really big challenges and um it's it's interesting to see a lot of small businesses individually try to solve that problem one-on-one. You know, it's very different when you have an off-the-shelf product like um, like a physical good. Yeah. Um, you know, then solutions like Shopify actually work really well. Like, you know, they, and there's a whole ecosystem of stuff around that that can just kind of help a business develop a very world-class presence, right? Even on a mm-hmm. small scale, but they're, they're there and they can play. Insurance yep. is a very different game with the complexity that around the product and the, you know, the advice that's needed from a broker to be able to select the product and to shape mm-hmm. it, and to, for that matter, you know, notwithstanding kind of the application process looks like it as well. Yeah, I mean, these are all things that haven't been solved for effectively on scale, I would say, like in the insurance industry yet. And, um, you know. Oh.
2: Sorry, no, no, you go that. Robin, but
4: I want to, I
0: want to come back to that Shopify <laughs> yeah. thing. when, when you're
2: done. Okay. No. So my question was going to be, um, you know, how much of this do you think is, is tied to, to strategy? So, um, you know, if we're looking at the insurance industry uh, or maybe any industry where, you know, so much of focus is really on the product um, where something like marketing and then digital is something that's a little bit comes in a little bit later and that's not necessarily the skill set of the people within the organization and suddenly this is something that in order to to survive and to grow you need to have this certain level of expertise and you're now thrown with these complex situations and you're trying to juggle, you know, you know, running a business which is focused on insurance products and services, but needing to be that marketing expert as well. How does that complexity come into the conversations that you're having with uh, your brokers?
4: Well, it, it, it we see it like I, I personally see it clearly. Like it's a challenge. It's I'm not quite sure what else to say about that. I mean, it, it's it's front and center notwithstanding some of the, you know, some of the larger partners, um, most smaller organizations are kind of in their early days and trying to understand how to develop a meaningful presence online. And it's, I, I think it's still, it's still an open question. It's a, uh, you see for, the for insurance, frankly, like it's, it's not, it's it, like, I was trying to, the analogy I was trying to make earlier was like, there isn't like a, there isn't an obvious solution to kind of fit the, hit the gap for insurance. And I think that makes it kind of ripe for, Disruption, and I, I don't necessarily mean disruption in a scary way. I mean disruption in like an in- interesting way. Yeah, like you know, I think there's still something to be had. there.
0: One of the points you brought up about Shopify made me think of all of the small, I mean, call them brands that are out there marketing to us on online since since the Shopify came around. And, and I know what you've talked about there is the catch, you know, okay, so I, I managed to get an eyeball and now what do I do with it? But mm-hmm. I think that part of the, what do I do with it is actually a content and a content conversation or content strategy conversation. And that, you know, while Shopify sort of handled the ability to transact something Mm -hmm. online, that in and of itself isn't going to really make me do anything. So what what I've, what we've seen is really this major increase in all these small, really unknown brands that have put together a product, maybe it's a shoe, or maybe it's a bag, or maybe it's, Mm -hmm. I don't know, some, you know, new kind of thing, like a tablet or whatever it happens to be. And these are rel- relatively un- unknown companies that, that, that don't have large marketing budgets, but they're able to kind of connect right to to an audience. But then through their content, through their really nice, engaging, maybe little video that occurs or a few swipe swipes with nice images that tell that story, then you do click to something that has that continuity you're getting a sale. Like, I don't know, I don't know if if this has happened to you, you or anyone else on the podcast, but like, I've bought like iPhone cases that were made of wood when I thought, Hey, that's pretty cool. And it's $45 or $35. And I have no idea who this company is, but they've just, everything is, Mm -hmm. is making sense in this experience. Right. And I think that that's an area that tends to, I don't know, it's not talked about enough, you know, the, the thought of like, just having that what is the right content for the broker? Because that's also got to be, you know, right size for them and making sure that that content is really throughout the process. I realized the, the other thing that you touched on was that technology gap of, well, yeah. how do you put them through a buying process or some sort of a, you know, but yeah. there's got to be a big gap there in terms of the
4: content and strategy, no? Absolutely hear that too. Um, it, it, the difference I would say though, with respect to like the, the example you gave is that and I've done that before too, by the way. And I've bought yeah. products from you know, a company overseas, for example, right? um, quite comfortably too, especially if the experience is one that I'm familiar with and trustworthy. Mm-hmm. Um, the difference I believe is this in this case is that in, in that situation, you're shopping for a product, right? Um, and I'd say when you're shopping insurance, you're probably transactionally shopping. Like, so in other words, you're probably not shopping for insurance unless you need it. I mean, there's a very few people who might actually be looking ahead, right? Doing mm-hmm. some mm-hmm. shopping and thinking about their upcoming renewal. But chances are, if they're online shopping for insurance, it's because something's happened. There's an event that's happened. Either they're purchasing a home, they're right new mortgage, um, mm-hmm. yep. the renewal's up. Um, maybe they had a bad experience with another company. The list is long. But the point being is that there's actually a trigger that's happened. So to your point about content, you know, having content that kind of speaks to those needs would be, would seem like the right thing to do.
0: Well, Um, and I think it goes back to the whole piece of inbound versus mm -hmm. outbound or push, right? And 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 it's a brand or a demand creation versus a having to be there when you're, like you said, like if somebody's searching for you for something, which is always the place to start, you know, get your marketing foundations and ensure that your ability to show up is, to whatever that means to you hyper local some provincial level however you're going to organize that strategy you don't want to miss out on that i mean you want to have that together to to the degree that you can you could capture that demand mm-hmm. but then i think it does shift a little bit to what's your push strategy going to be and i don't i don't think this is unique to insurance in fact in that one of the you know one of our clients you know they're voice over ip and i don't know if there's anybody out here that doesn't have the ability to make a phone call in their, in their business, they probably all do. And they're probably not necessarily shopping. And if they are shopping, they better show up on Google, but you know, it's moving into that. Why would you look at something else kind of conversation? Why, why should you take the moment to, um, to stop, Mm -hmm. especially in a B2B this is when we're talking about B2C, I think it's sometimes easier almost in, in ways, although I know there's challenges with insurance, but it's almost easier to make that argument. Whereas if you're a business, if I'm the manager of IT and I get an ad for some voice over IP system, it's like, okay, I could probably save the business 15% here, but like I've got a million things to do and yeah. you know I don't care about that right now. Whereas it's like a, a consumer, you can almost build that business case. Like you should really take a look at this because it's your money going out the door. It's your family, it's your vehicle. Mm-hmm. But I do think there's something there around and it might be something for us to talk a little bit about if you see any of this happening. But how how do we help brokers push their message in front of in front of their audience to some degree and tell their story, um, you know, on networks like Instagram or on Facebook or maybe even LinkedIn if it's a business? Are You guys yeah. talking about that at all?
4: No, so not as much of a focus, frankly, like on the projects that we're running, but I have some thoughts about it for sure. Okay. Yeah. Um, absolutely. I mean, I, you know what that makes me think of is that like you're talking about like multiple levels of, of marketing and you're talking about maybe potentially like brand and image marketing at that point mm-hmm. too, which is, I think, you know, what you're trying to do there is get your company known
1: mm-hmm. and
4: kind of into the selection set. <laughs> so that when a person is at the point where they're going to make a decision, like they they have a need, that you're somehow in the part of that selection set research says that the selection set's not very big though. Like sure, three, three companies typically is what's wow. in most people's selection set. Right. So, so, I mean, it's, it's a really, it's kind of back to that thing about like the online space too, right? Like it's, how do you crack that nut and get into that? Like I, I think of a, of a broker in, in, you
0: know, maybe out, just outside of Winnipeg or in the area. Mm-hmm. Right. And they would, they would go to the farmer's market. This is like, you know, okay. something that they would do, or it's a classic car convention and they would set up a booth yeah. and they would stand there and they would, yeah. Hey, well, I, you know, maybe I have the need, maybe I don't, but I'm in context to the environment. I'm just here and I'm handing out cards and I'm engaging. Yeah. It's kind of like that in the sense yeah. that they're not out there Googling. I need classic car insurance, yeah. but I'm out, I'm
4: in a brand mode almost, right? Yeah, totally. And it's, um, I heard a really good speaker at a financial services conference two years ago, uh, from a Jamaican bank of all places. Um, they were brought in to talk about their, um, their strategies for managing social media marketing. And she just made the really clever observation that social media platforms are social. And and if you look, look at the way that they're designed, um, they're designed around a persona or person actually, I mean, they're Fundamentally, this around around you know me publishing content to my social network, right, and interacting. So, what she was basically the thesis of her talk was that if companies are going to leverage social media as a tool, it should be very personal. Yeah, and if, it's interesting to watch businesses do that themselves on social media and see how many actually don't do that and it, it what the effect it has is it looks a little bit disingenuous. like it looks sure odd. yeah and then you see companies that do and those are the companies that you know they talk about their employees they talk about their brand they talk about their values and they really kind of take what they've really done there is they've developed a persona for the company and presented yeah. that through their social media channel and they're consistent about it and yeah. to your point it, that's probably like a digital version of you know, the farmer's market that you just talked about. And what it does is it keeps that, it, you know, it, it informs and educates the consumer about that company. And again, kind of keeps them top of mind in their selection set. And I mean, if it's a local company that they resonate with too, I think that's that's almost like a win-win situation in some cases. Yeah.
3: I see a lot of that on the front line. And, and I think that that continuity between w- that, that message and that brand and that voice all the way through the journey needs needs to come up to surface and and we need to educate brokers how important that is because even if you get that piece of the chain right and then you you go and you drive to a to a, a an e-commerce engine let's say and it all falls down on that side you know, because of budgeting, because we don't have control of the tool. I mean, the list goes on and on and on of the reasons why it's it 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 you can't have that break though. The continuity has to stay mm-hmm. through because it's going back to your point about you're not the big brand, right? Mm-hmm. So everything through to the the ad and the landing page and the 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 tool itself, the nurture stream, it's all got to have that top shelf feel mm-hmm. all the way through. Um,
0: but so- I I think that a lot of the Emphasis has been on Google and on search and on inbound and very expensive and it's hard to compete with the big guys that are direct writing or just hammering their budgets into that lens when and, and, and not it's not the same thing. And I think it is important to say when people are shopping, they're shopping. In all cases, frankly, you know I need something. It's a Google search and you've got buying or intent there, obviously. Mm-hmm. But when you look at the cost differential to start to go out with more of a, a push conversation, it's drastic. I mean, you can get pennies, pennies, a uh, uh, a video view right now on the, and this is on like very high quality audiences on LinkedIn and, and a lot cheaper if you're looking at things like Facebook and Instagram to get. Um, that more brand or that why why should you think about us type of message out into the world. So, yeah, I think it's, it's almost a spot where they, the, the smaller business can compete. You know, there's a content strategy element. There's a really being thoughtful to your point on what's the persona, what's the thing you're going to put out there, but you can do it. You can do it without spending an arm and a leg. Now you won't get the same return on investment necessarily. There needs to be a different thought around, how are we measuring that performance you know if we really want everyone within within uh, a certain audience within my area to know who we are over a year probably does come down to measuring things like impressions and views and trying mm-hmm. to get those uniques really to a place where we can feel like hey you know we've got 7 8 10 20,000 people that never knew who we were, uh, were yeah. you know have watched over 30 seconds of a video of us. And now that gives us a base to do some remarketing or whatever, you know, it's a, it's, a, certainly a longer term item. It's not going to be an in the moment ROI, but it's, it's a thing that people don't think a lot about. They just, yeah. they, they gravitate towards
4: the the quick, not the quick, but you know, something that's more measurable, I guess, well, if you want more immediately measurable. Right. Yeah. 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 But to Jen's point, I mean, the need to have a comprehensive play that's like, right. That's executed well across like that short term and long term, the transactional and kind of the brand level yeah. it
2: could be a little bit more familiar also because we're talking about a strategy and then a, a, a you know um, um, technology together right so mm. you need to have the strategy and then figure out what is the best technology to be able to enable that and uh, while there are definitely challenges with Google that's a little bit more familiar you know and using some of the social is going to be a little bit further out there and that's probably another gap within the broker network that this is just another area that's outside of of what the, of the comfort zone and so that they're not going there yeah
4: agreed I mean one of the things I think about when I think about digital all the time is that there's this tendency to lump all digital stuff into online like this one broad category and mm-hmm. I think it's a bit of, it means it's an oversight, right? I mean, as you guys know, because you do this work day in, day out, um, what digital's done is it's actually just created more channels of engagement. So instead of having to worry about five channels, yeah. maybe there's 10, right? Mm-hmm. Like, hey, it's actually just an exponential thing. And um, I, I mean, I think the same applies to distribution as well. I mean, I think that we see that coming in insurance. Um, you know, when we think about the fact that Um, auto manufacturers are getting into the insurance selling business, not, not understanding the insurance, like underwriting business as well. They think, they think they can create, they're looking at creating potentially what they believe is a better insurance product using their technology. Um, Mm -hmm. that's not to replace (laughs) what we have today. That's additive. So what we're looking at a future is where there are like many more potential channels for, you know, for engagement, for a customer. And then the same thing from a distribution perspective as well,
1: Jason, I'd like you to talk a little bit, if you could, um, in terms of uh, of your of your brokers, and um, and how often you observe where there is um, a tendency to try to sort of jump over some of the fundamentals so from a at least from a marketing perspective what we notice a lot is you know we've got a lot of very you know sort of interested in, and aggressive brokers that are are small and they're they're basically looking to get to that place where they've got that interaction online and the the, the fact that um, you know in the education process that we need to go through to sort of establish as you were mentioning there that sort of platform needs to be there in order to support that performance marketing if you will. Some of those foundational sort of uh, aspects the 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 uh, the intent I think is to is to have a really properly sort of set up product but the, what it appears like is you're stepping very quickly into something that you're really not ready to support.
4: 100% agree. Um, and I'd, what I'd say to that is like, we, we see it. Um, I mean, and we're, we're part of it as well. <laughs> and we've contributed in some ways as, as well as technologists. But um, I mean, if you think of the number of um, smaller digital insurance products, if you want to call them that, that have been put to market over the past four or five years that have had you know modest sales if at best right mm. um one of the observations is that again that whole platform play. right so you know in in many cases uh we've seen we've seen um people focus on the product so let's get the product online well there's a couple things that have been missed there first of all we know what what we've done as an industry is in industries we've taken the traditional product and put it online, and not had much consideration for um, how it might transact in the digital channel, right? Yep. For a consumer, um, what we, what we've really done is taken the application form that a broker used to fill in and you know place that online and basically displace the work from the broker to the customer effectively, and hope that the customer would feel good about doing that, which it doesn't transact well right so i mean there's that kind of foundational element and then the other piece would be we've seen time and time again companies putting up products online but not really understanding how to drive traffic to those products effectively and again your point about content um, if they are successful at driving traffic to the product they drive them to an application form so this whole, this whole conversation that's kind of needed in the middle is missing. Like the customer yes. is going, you know, it's, it's almost too fast. It's almost like it's going from an intent to a transaction without any kind of, there's no sales involved, right? There's, there's yeah. no reassurance. There's kind of no guidance. And so, I mean, fortunately, I mean, there are there are good examples of people um, developing kind of solid platforms. But I'd say like to your point, um, more often than not, I think we see kind of partially executed plays, right? So you see like a really heavy emphasis on the product, not as much on the marketing piece, right? And then at, at the expense of obviously the performance of the whole play suffers as a result.
3: Yeah, yeah. I, mm-hmm. we see, you know, and I don't know where, I, I mean, I think I have a couple ideas of, of why it's taking so long to get that message out there. I think, you know, we, we've said for years, it's not builded it and they will come. It, it's this concept of just investing in a piece of technology and expecting, you know, whether it's even to an existing customer suite, whether it's a portal and expecting the, the day you turn it on, everybody's gonna have signed up and know how to use it. And there's no adoption strategy. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And I, I don't know when that, when that conversation will start to change. I don't know if it, it, it really originates from leadership and decision-making being so separated from the process and the build and, and they're not invested in every step of the way and it just gets lost in translation. Or maybe you can comment on, you know, if we, Mm -hmm. we've certainly been in in around this for, for six years and seems like the same conversation six years ago. Right. I don't know if you can, if you have any ideas on, on.
4: What's happening there. Yeah. yeah. I mean, one of, one of the leaders I, I, communicate with frequently had something to say about that which i really like which is um we uh we tend to kind of work the experiences from um uh, taking our current products and working them out to the world Mm. so uh, in other words kind of like an inside out so we take the product that we have and we push it out right and all the implications that come with that um whereas you know probably a better approach would be like to do an outside-in approach which is to Mm -hmm. like Work more closely with customers to understand their jobs to be done, what their needs are. Um, so more like the design, you know, the design thinking approach that companies, successful companies like Apple, use to develop their products. And it's a set small pivot, right? So it's, yeah. it's the difference. Like in insurance, we'll take a product and like it's about underwriting, and we'll put that, we'll push that product out to the to the, to the masses. But, whereas a company like Apple wouldn't look at it that way. A company like Apple would look at the product and contemplate Well, what's the customer's job to be done like what do they what do they need done and they will try to erase all of the friction that happens between the customer's need and and the you know the, the intent to be delivered and I think that's the twist that's needed and comp- you know obviously there are companies in insurance doing that today yeah. but it, it it's a slow change in insurance to kind of have that mindset shift from from you know kind of a more traditional product development view to something that's more modern and like, takes in some of the more design thinking principles.
3: Yeah, I mean, at the, at the it's, it reminds me of something we, we did at the beginning of COVID. We had two companies that I won't mention, but we had, you know, got some two campaigns together that were fairly close campaigns back in March 2020. And one of them significantly outperformed the other by so much so that People like, clo-
0: like close, clo- like close in terms of like, they were very similar. Yeah. In there n- was, very, nature.
3: was nature, but the difference was the product itself was completely innovative. So it was a combination of a very good campaign mm-hmm. and a good service provider behind it. Just kidding. But, um, but also the, but the difference was like the product was so um it was different it was just not your traditional insurance product and it was completely spoke to the audience at the time and Hmm. so kind of to your point where the uh, the first model was kind of just going online with an application same old same old this one was kind of the same campaign but totally new product totally fitting for the time topical if you will and Mm -hmm. you know almost broke their call center had to turn had to turn off phones in a way right so we often forget about that
2: And, you know, Jason, you started talking, uh, we started talking about the more innovative future type products. And, you know, I'm wondering, you know, looking at this concept instead of say, you know, looking at the product and pushing it out as opposed to looking at the audience or looking at the need and then working backwards. Is that some of the way that you're, you're looking at, at these future products or services? So really shifting the lens around?
4: Absolutely. That, that's absolutely the innovation method and mindset. Um, it's very customer centric or, and you could almost say like needs centric. Mm. Absolutely. It's kind of baked into the DNA of the processes from the ground up.
0: Well, I mean, I think the, uh, the other, the last piece, I think we wanted to touch on, because I think we've uh, we've, we've already been at this for a while now. Hey, Cam.
4: We're yeah, guys, I'm going to, I'm going to have to make it quick because I do have a call and, in, in a few minutes here. Yeah, yeah. We won't
0: take, we won't take up too much of your time. Thank you um, for that. But we wanted to reflect on, on something um, around the, the journey that, that they're going, that the broker would go through to sort of um, mature their marketing, let's say. Okay. So we've talked about this before, you know, there's different cohorts that, that are out there from a doing quite well and seeing marketing performance and kind of they're already there to that middle pack where they're in the storming, norming, you know, whatever we want to call that phase where they're starting to see things come together, but there's still a lot, a, a lot of room to go for them to feel like they're getting the performance that they want out of their, their, their digital. And then the, the beginners, which Jen touched a little bit on the beginners. And one of the things that we just wanted to explore is, you know, is that if you could sort of just, Capture roughly from a percentage range pers- perspective. What's the breakdown in your mind in terms of the three tiers? Oh wow! Yeah. Are, are you seeing like seventy percent are kind of well there and well on their way, or you know, is it a bigger no, chunk in the middle? Not like
4: that at all. Yeah. No. No. Well, the, so the percentage is deceiving, mind you, because it also has to be tempered by the size of the market, right? Sure. So, yeah. Yeah. It right? could be bigger. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, I mean. It's hard to put a number to it, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> is it 80-20? Is it still right, only- t- would be this like, so I think of digital masters as kind of like the top tier. So these yeah. are people who, you know, are, have a world-class experience. Yeah. I'd be hard-pressed to say that's even 10% of the market, okay, probably yeah. less. What's interesting in the past year is that like when you said digital, especially pre-COVID, the focus was really about marketing and acquisition. Mm-hmm. There's been a lot of activity in the past year around um, around service um, policy servicing, which is really cool to see. So I' you know I say I'd, I'd say like that middle category if you include policy servicing as like a you know a part of that digital play, yeah. then it's actually it's really come to life in the past year. There's a lot of a lot of companies and brokers especially have taken parts of their services online you know so they're not fully integrated to the back office but they're at least able to, catch that request from a customer online and get them started in digital channel, they're able to provide digital documents, for example. So I don't know, I I have a hard time putting a number to that though, guys. Like it's no, I think that that tells us that my gut gut tells me it's probably like 30, 30%, 40% Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: So there's yeah. a lot of There's a lot of work to do is what it sounds like in terms of getting uh, everyone where they need to be. Well, listen, yeah. Jason, we know you've got to, to jet, but we really appreciate your time and and thanks yeah. for joining us today.
4: Yeah. Cheers. It was a pleasure. Thanks. Thanks, thanks Jason.
3: Jason. Have a good week, guys.
4: Yeah. You thanks. take care. Bye guys.